Hi. Hello, everyone, and a Friday afternoon, morning, evening, depending on where you are, Gen Con. Uh, we are the official Kickstarter games team. Um, I know there's a lot of Kickstarter uh, talks and discussions and things like that, um, but we really wanted to get together as the sort of um, newly forward-facing Kickstarter games team and not only reintroduce ourselves to everyone, but also um, give you a lot of fun information and hopefully dispel a couple weird rumors that we hear about Kickstarter. Um, so I'm actually going to share my screen because I put a just, you know, beautifully presented keynote together that is definitely 100% accurate and has no mistakes in it. So don't call me out. So I'm going to share that right Okay, I'm going to assume everyone can see that. Um, so, awesome, fantastic. So, who are we? Uh, we are Anya, John, and Michael. We are the Kickstarter games team. Actually, I'm going to just escape really quickly just to kind of close that. There we go. Great. Play that again. Um, so, uh, we are actually going to start with John. Um, John, if you want to just tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, um, how long you've been in games, um, and what game you're currently playing. Yeah. Uh, so, I'm John Ritter. Uh, I've been working in games for about six years now. I'm one of the owners of Layways Games. Uh, also, do have done some consulting in the past. Um, games I'm currently playing. Uh, I'm working on a game called Hindful, which is a little card game I made uh, through Kickstarter's Make 100 initiative, which was fun. And oh, I'm the senior outreach lead of Tabletop. That's kind of important too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, same question for you. Hi friends, I'm currently based in Berlin. I help the Kickstarter game team for, for Europe, for the European creators. And um, yeah, thanks to the new age of 2020, uh, mobile office to the full. Um, so sorry for the background. Um, I'm in games, mostly video games, for 15 years plus something. I run a company in Berlin for the games industry, um, developers, creators, publishers, um, mostly business to business, but also some B2C stuff. Um, with um, the games team at Kickstarter, I'm since 2016, and um, it's called Outreach Games Europe. I think I got a sort of head or director or whatever um, thing as well. But as I'm alone in Europe, uh, it's just Outreach. Um, I think it's fine. I'm currently playing, as always, and every day and every season, um, Civilization in the latest edition. <laughs> awesome. Uh, and I'm Anya. I'm the director of games at Kickstarter. Uh, I'm, I'm the one in charge, I guess, um, which I don't know if that was a good idea making me in charge, but that's kind of where we're at. Um, I've been in games 12 years. Uh, similar to Michael, my background is much more in the digital video game space. Um, I got my start working in Flash. I worked for a website called addictinggames.com where I was the uh, uh, developer relations person. I've worked at Nickelodeon for a number of years. I have some fun, weird horror stories of working at Nickelodeon, which uh, should not be told over a Twitch channel. Uh, but if anyone's ever interested, I'm always happy to kind of talk about that. Uh, and now I work at Kickstarter, which is great. I've been at Kickstarter a little bit over four and a half years. Um, Kickstarter is also where I learned that tabletop games were very much a thing. Uh, so that's been a really fun sort of experience for me. So I am... <laughs> replaying God of War. I just love it so much. Um, and I've been playing a lot of Oink games um, just with my husband and my neighbors. Um, so it's been pretty cool. So gonna assume everyone knows what Kickstarter is, especially here at Gen Con, and especially in a tabletop space. But if you didn't know, uh, Kickstarter's mission is to bring creative projects to life. And we do that by connecting people to the projects that they love. And we'd like to think that we do that better than anyone. People from nearly every country on earth have backed a project. Uh, our community actually represents nearly every country, and that does include all seven continents. And yes, that does include uh, Antarctica. There is like someone just sitting alone in Antarctica backing Kickstarter projects. I like to think they're backing a travel backpack because that's just like what everyone seems to be backing these days. Uh, so thanks to, you know, Kickstarter being now 11 years old and having representation in all uh, seven continents and pretty much every single country, 
Kickstarter has the largest and most engaged funding community. So over 18.2 million people have backed a Kickstarter project, which has resulted in 63 million pledges that have been made to all projects. This is not just games. This is representative of Kickstarter as a whole for the entire company. We will sort of dive into the tabletop numbers, which are um, clearly a big part of these. Uh, but I did just kind of want to note that of that 18.2 million people that have backed a Kickstarter project, over 6 million people have actually backed more than one project. So it's a high likelihood that people come to Kickstarter, you back one, you're probably going to back another project, which is pretty great. Um, we see this consistently in games, and we obviously see this consistently in tabletop games. So Kickstarter backers have already pledged $5.1 billion, US dollars, obviously, um, just because this is a American-based conference, uh, to all projects, um, which has helped fund over 185,000 creative projects. Again, there's a significant amount of this that is contributed to, uh, that is attributed to games, specifically tabletop games. And I'm gonna throw a stat out here, which I'll explain why I think is really interesting. The success rate for Kickstarter as a whole, uh, so that's representative of every single category, music, theater, art, dance, film, design and technology, games, everything. The success rate on Kickstarter is roughly 37.8%. It's, it's hovering around that amount. Um, so keep that in the back of your mind because when we kind of dive into the, uh, the games category stats and subsequently the tabletop games category stats, it makes things really, really illuminating. So speaking of the games category stats, um, let's kind of dive into that a little bit more, right? So $5.1 billion pledged to Kickstarter as a whole. Of that 5.1, 1.3 billion has been pledged to the games category. For this context, the games category does actually mean all games. So video games, tabletop games, right? Card games, LARPs, uh, minis, anything like that. Um, so 1.3 billion has been uh, attributed to uh, the games category specifically. Uh, just to note, 1.2 billion of that has actually been successfully raised. So it's a pretty, pretty impressive stat. Uh, that's resulted in over 22,000 projects that successfully funded projects. Uh, and we have about 3.9 million backers in the games category. Now, as I previously said, 37.8% success rate the games category is actually a 41.3% success rate. That 41.3% is representative of the entirety of the games category in the full 11 years of Kickstarter. Uh, but an interesting thing to note is last year, the success rate actually went up uh, to 52.8%. So in, two, in 2019, the success rate for games as a whole was 52 over 52%. And you might be thinking, well, I'm watching this at home because I'm not able to actually attend Gen Con. I wonder if the success rate in games has gone down because people are, you know, our unemployment rate has skyrocketed. Rocketed. We have a global pandemic. There's just, it's, it's mayhem out there. Uh, and interestingly, uh, the answer is no. The success rate in 2020 is actually 57%. So it's a very, very high success rate for the games uh, category specifically on Kickstarter. Um, oh, I also forgot to mention, um, we'll have a little bit of time for Q&A. Uh, John is going to manage that. But if you want to drop any questions in the Twitch chat, um, we'll be collecting those questions and answering them. Um, also, at the end of this, I have all of our personal emails along with our sort of like general games team email. So if you're like me and you don't like to ask questions in a public space, <laughs> um, we are all available to help answer any questions. But feel free to drop any questions in Twitch chat and we will um, get to what we can at the end of this very long discussion of me rambling and saying a lot of numbers. Um, so obviously this being Gen Con and a tabletop space, um, we wanted to really look at the tabletop numbers um, specifically uh, that are on Kickstarter, right? $958 million has been pledged to just tabletop. Again, this is the entire 11 years of Kickstarter. Of that 958 million, 920 of that has actually been successful. That's um, that's brought in about 14,700. It's a little more than that. It's it's a little bit closer to like 14,800 successful projects, which is really really great. Um, and there are roughly 2.1 million backers in the tabletop category. Uh, I left out the video games category stats here just because I this is obviously a tabletop conference in space. Um, 
but for what it's worth, um, the tabletop or the video game numbers are roughly like, I think it's like 209, 208 million um, has been successfully raised and a little bit over 3,300 projects. And there's about 1.8 million backers in video games. Uh, but to harp again on the success rate that I find to be so interesting, the success rate in tabletop games for the full lifespan of Kickstarter is 60.4%. And as I'm sure you will know by this point, uh, the success rate in 2019 was um, 66.9%. And so impressively, even in a global pandemic, the success rate in 2020 for tabletop games is 70.2%. So if you are thinking of launching a tabletop game over the next couple of months, as we're sort of you know starting to get towards the end of the year-ish, I guess middle to end of the year, uh, you have a very high likelihood of being successful, which is like pretty great. So uh, we have all of these numbers. Um, obviously, there's a huge thriving community on Kickstarter, especially in the tabletop game space. Um, and let's say that you're thinking to yourself, wow, I've never launched a project before, or I've launched maybe like one or two projects. And I uh, am just sort of curious, like what exactly are sort of like best practices from specifically the Kickstarter games team. So I like to kind of think about these things in a yes and no context. So the yeses that we like are just a couple things, right? And these are obviously each project is different. These are sort of just baseline, like this is what we would pretty much tell everyone. Uh, the most important thing for a games project is gameplay. <laughs> that seems obvious, but it is kind of amazing how many times people omit their gameplay in the video or just kind of throughout their page. Uh, for tabletop, you know, if you have the opportunity to show like gameplay gifts on your page, that's awesome. That is not by any means required. But explaining the gameplay to your game in a concise manner is key. The best way to do this is the first 30 seconds of your main project video. That first 30 seconds just needs to be gameplay. I've seen things where people do, and we've all seen things where people do like cinematic experiences or these big sort of like Hollywood level, uh, you know, just crazy videos. And it's, if you have the opportunity and the financial means to do that, that is great. And we're not trying to tell people not to do that. But if you're like a one person creator or like a two person team and you don't have that opportunity, uh, filming the gameplay from an iPhone or a mobile device is completely okay. But you need to have that 30 seconds of gameplay. Second, you wanna keep your video short. So like two to three minutes at most in length. Uh, videos I see that are like 18 minutes long, they're just too long. This isn't a YouTube <laughs> series that people are really interested in watching on Kickstarter. You can keep those videos, but keep them for things like your updates or for uh, like further down on your page. But your main video on your Kickstarter project should absolutely be short. Um, third thing is community building. Community building is uh, really at the end of the day, sort of the heart and soul of what makes a Kickstarter project successful. So what we see from the back end of things, and you uh, obtain access to this information too when you launch a project, there's a lot of Google Analytics that gives you a ton of information that you're able to kind of work with. But what we see roughly is, um, especially for first time creators, about 30% of your pledges will come in through Kickstarter. Um, that does include any sort of features, promotions, projects we love, badges, things like that. That is included in that 30%, uh, 30 to like 34%. I like to say 30 just to be a little bit um, mindful and a little bit conservative about the numbers because I, I you know, success is obviously key here. Um, so that means that about 70, 65 to 70% of your pledges need to come in through a community that you're able to build. So that's through things like a mailing list, um, social media, your friends and your family, if you're on Board Game Geek, um, going to conferences like this, um, jumping in you know, the Gen Con Discord, talking about your game, getting people excited about your game, building that community. I do wanna shout out two people who uh, are wonderful community building folks in the tabletop game space. One is Maya Coleman. Um, they are uh, they were the community manager for Chaga Board Games, Secret Hitler. Uh, they are an incredible community manager. And the other is um, Courtney Terry, who again, absolutely fantastic community building person. Um, I would encourage you to uh, at least start a conversation with them. 
um, either one of them. Uh, I cannot recommend them enough as fantastic community building managers in the tabletop game space. Fourth thing is your main project image. We tend to see things like people put their personal photo or, um, you know, like a funny image of some kind. And really that main project image should be showcasing what the actual game is, right? So if that's like, here's every single card that I have for my card game kind of fanned out, here's the box art, here's, a, a, you know, here's all the minis, whatever it is that your game is, showcase that in the main project image. Also, avoid putting any badges on your main project image. I'll get to why we don't like that a little bit later, uh, but please avoid any badges. What I mean by that is uh, now live on Kickstarter, which I'm like, of course it's live on Kickstarter, you're on Kickstarter, uh, or like funded in two hours or something like that. Uh, the, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. The fifth point here is be honest. Uh, this obviously goes for tabletop games too, um, but it's very, very common in the video game space to have delays, development delays. At this point, it's like a little bit of a video game trope, but it also happens, especially now given our sort of like, uh, you know, COVID related new reality, delays happen. Printing, manufacturing, shipping, it's okay, right? Delays, they happen, it's not a big deal. But being honest about what's going on and communicating what's happening to your backers is so much better than, than having like no information. And lastly, 30 to 35 days. Uh, we get this question a lot. Uh, people wanna run 20 day projects. They wanna run 60 day projects. Uh, and the reality is 30 to 35 days, we've done a lot of testing on this. Um, that's sort of the perfect time frame to launch, to run a project. So anything less than 30 is not enough. Anything over 35 is a little bit too much. So we saw the yeses, let's quickly look at the noes. Uh, not having a video, guess what? It's not an option, you need to have a video. Number two, never posting an update. So an interesting thing here is each category on Kickstarter is a little bit different in terms of what the community needs are. So music, for example, um, you can post an update roughly like once a week, right? The community, the music community is like, yeah, you're probably doing fine. It's no big deal. The games community, just because we, I, this is just who we are as like games people, we're a little bit more dialed in. You need to post an update every other day. Super important. Uh, having a bad launch day. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily the length of the duration of the campaign, the actual day that you launch. So launching on a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday, it's not a good time to launch a project. Uh, in addition to that, launching over any sort of major U.S. holiday. So specifically, that's, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, President's Day, Memorial Day, things like that. Any sort of day where people are most likely not working, um, I understand why people think those are times to like good times to launch projects, but the reality is most people are actually like looking at Kickstarter during the week. So question might be, well, then what is a good launch day? Weirdly enough, we found that Tuesdays and Wednesdays tend to be the best day for launches. Uh, so stretch goals. Oh boy. I am probably going to get a lot of hate for this and that's totally okay. Uh, do not launch your project with any visible stretch goals. The reason we say this is the, the core of your project should be about that initial funding goal. Stretch goals, while sometimes they're great and there are some fantastic ideas for stretch goals and stretch goals that can really enhance a project, stretch goals really should be nothing more than enhancements that you can actually make to the game. But reliance on stretch goals to fund your project is in a very, very, very dangerous place that you can find yourself in. So once you've met that initial funding goal, go ahead, feel free to like launch as many stretch goals as you want. It's totally fine. Uh, press reliance. Press reliance also is in relation to any sort of like streamer, influencer, YouTuber, anything like that. Uh, if you can get press, if you can get streamers to stream your game, if you can get anyone that is sort of like a third party person to, to talk about your game in some capacity, that's fantastic. But the reality is those spaces rarely bring in actual pledges to a Kickstarter campaign. So instead of relying on press, build a community to bring people sort of into the project of having that sort of like organic grassroots approach. And lastly, just another way of saying being honest is ghosting. Don't ghost your backers. Don't ghost anyone that's associated with the project. Uh, be honest, be open. Even if you have bad news, bad news is so much better than no news. Um, so 
I'm so excited to explain how to get featured on Kickstarter. I think John and Michael can agree with me that this is probably the number one question that we get asked as the games team. Uh, how do I get featured on Kickstarter? How do I get that Projects We Love badge? How do I get in your newsletters? How do I get on your social media? And there's a couple things here. Uh, there's a lot of weird rumors about how featuring works on Kickstarter. Uh, I've heard that there's an algorithm. I've heard that we have, uh, there's metrics. I've heard that people uh, are forced to pay for features and none of those things are true. We do not ask people to pay us to be featured on Kickstarter. That's ethically incorrect. That's morally incorrect. That's disgusting. And we do not want to participate in that type of uh, like uh, relationship. Um, you don't pay to be featured on Kickstarter, at least by Kickstarter. Uh, there is no algorithm. There's no algorithm that just like pulls projects and is like, yeah, this one seems cool. I'll just like it. Uh, nor is it a metrics based sort of system, right? Where, uh, if you reach X amount of money or you reach X amount of backers or you're X amount funded automatically, you get a projects we love badge is not the case at all. Nor is that the case that there's an algorithm that pulls things to get features in newsletters. Um, Everything is hand curated. We are very precious about how we feature projects on Kickstarter and we take it very seriously. The projects that we feature reflect, reflect the, the brand and it also reflects the three of us as the Kickstarter games team. We're essentially putting our name on anything that we like. So the things that we look for, again, are very strong project images to showcase what the game is. Um, what does the game look like? What exactly is it that people are gonna be backing? Uh, gameplay gifts. So the only reason I say gameplay gifts is that it's a little bit easier for us to use those to do any sort of featuring sometimes in like newsletters, um, sometimes through our social media networks, things like that. Um, talking to us early and often. This is honestly the biggest one that I think people forget about. John, Michael, and I are here to advocate for you as creators. Our job is to not only provide you with feedback and give you information and like kind of guide you through this process of launching a Kickstarter project, but we're also here to advocate for you as creators to Kickstarter as a whole. So we want you to tell us your story so we can then tell your story to Kickstarter and get people at Kickstarter excited. So we get the question a lot of uh, when should I be, when should I talk to you all, uh, you know, at what point of the process? And the simple answer is as soon as you're thinking of launching a Kickstarter project, we want to talk to you. We get, uh, we get a little sad sometimes when creators come to us and they're like, hey, I'm launching in an hour. So what do you think of my project? And we're like, oh my God, we have to like redo this entire project. This sucks. Uh, so talking to us early and often so we can like guide you through that process versus scrambling at the last minute is just a much more enjoyable experience for all of us. And lastly, the games newsletter. So we are responsible specifically for a newsletter that is just for the games community. And we hand curate every other week what projects actually go in that newsletter. So talking to us early, talking, us, talking to us often, we're able to provide a lot of feedback to Kickstarter and we're able to advocate again for you as creators. And the reason we do not like those badges on those project images is it completely distracts from what the actual game is. I understand wanting to have those accolades. I understand wanting to have those milestones but those should really be reserved for the actually down in the project page. Make sure that your main project image is about the project. So um, we have all of this information. We've looked at, we've, I've given you a ton. Um, so we are actually gonna look at a couple projects and we're gonna kind of talk through what has made them successful. Um, and the first project I wanted to talk about was Divinity Original Sin, the board game from Larian Studios. So this funded last year, it funded in December of last year. Uh, this was actually their third project on Kickstarter. So their first two projects were obviously Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, the video game. And they, uh, they, we had a long conversation in January of 2019. And they said, hey, we're thinking of maybe doing a board game version. And I was like, that would be amazing. Kickstarter would be perfect for you all, obviously. And they hadn't launched a project since like 2015, right? Uh, Divinity Originals and the, the video game, both video games had been incredibly successful. So it was a very, very long process of getting them to launch the project and making sure that they felt comfortable. So obviously it did extremely well. Uh, they raised $1.8 million. They had 10,565 backers. Uh, and it funded in roughly December, yeah, December of 2019. And you might be saying, wait, but you said don't launch around the holidays. This was sort of a special case. 
Um, part of the reason this was special, part of the special case is one, they'd already built a huge community watching the two video games. Um, and I was so curious to kind of see what that like relationship was going to be from the video games audience potentially migrating to a tabletop space. And like, I think at the end of the day, this sort of showcases that like games are games, analog versus digital. If it's a good game, it's a good game and people are going to come and they're going to be excited to back it. Um, but also they really wanted to tie this to specifically packs unplugged, which I thought was such a great idea. And there's, there's a, there's a, the backend thing that I had sort of mentioned in terms of that like 30, 70 split. This is what you as a creator end up seeing. And I think there's a lot sort of happening here. Um, so this sort of line graph that you can see with all these little dots, that's your funding graph. This, the, the curve of this graph is pretty consistent from every single Kickstarter project. We'll look at a couple that are like a little bit different and it's really interesting to kind of parse out a lot of the information here. Um, <clears throat> but as you can see, the first, that first sort of spike is the first couple of days. Last couple of days also has a giant spike. We'll, we'll get into another project as to why that's a really, really important thing to keep in mind. But even having two extremely successful projects, that 42%, which is the green, that little green part, um, that little green part basically says like, hey, so 42% of your pledges have come in through Kickstarter, which is great, which is fantastic. Uh, and that little orange part is anything that's come outside of Kickstarter, which is the community that they're able to build, right? So one of the things I wanted to kind of note here is you might be saying, wait, but you said 30 to like 34% of your pledges come in through Kickstarter. The reason this is a little bit higher and the reason this is at roughly 42% is because they were uh, they had already built a community that exists on Kickstarter, right? And so uh, they sent they did a really cool thing where they sent updates to their previous project. And so a lot of that green part of the pie is the community that they built through Kickstarter. Um, so yeah, good job on them. So I'm actually going to throw this, this to John um, because he's going to talk about a game called The Shivers. Yeah. So I heard about The Shivers. Uh mid 2019 uh, I talked to Andy the creator and he actually wanted to launch uh, last year but no one knew about him he had a really cool idea um, it's a it's a pop-up RPG really geared towards families but had no community so the, the the idea was there the illustrations are unbelievable but again just no community so I encouraged him to spend the remainder of 2019 early 2020 building that community uh, going to shows, basically grinding with an iPad saying to sign up for our mailing list. And over the course of a year, he was able to go from no signups on a mailing list all the way up to, uh, I think it was like right before he launched like 2,800 emails, all manually received at conventions or through his website, uh, which was unbelievable. And then ended up putting his pre-launch page up and uh, had I think 2,500 people on his pre-launch page, which for, for what he was trying to do was was awesome. John, what's a pre-launch page? So a pre-launch page, it's a good segue. <laughs> so a pre-launch page is before you're launching your campaign, uh, after it's been approved, you can put up a little uh, pre-launch page that allows folks to get notified through Kickstarter that your campaign is about to launch. Uh, once you have over 10 followers, it shows the follower count. The campaign that I saw with the most followers recently was Frosthaven. It capped out around 23,100 23, or so. And yeah, so I, I, I encourage folks to, to get those out as early as they can so they can get people uh, in the loop about their game. And Andy did that. Uh, he got about, about 2,500 folks. So when he launched, all of those folks on the pre-launch page get alerted. They get an email that says, hey, this campaign launched and then a little button you can click in an email to go straight to the campaign. So it's a great way to let people know in advance about your campaign, even before it's live. Uh, can we go to the next slide? Absolutely. Awesome. Oh. Thank you. So Andy uh, launched right now. He's at, I think he's actually a little bit higher than that. He's at like 388 now. Yeah, and sorry. These numbers are based on uh, yesterday. Yeah. So he's he's gone up a little bit, but the campaign's doing gangbusters. Uh, and I think that building this community has been huge for him because again, when, when he started the campaign, there were already 3000 people on a mailing list, 2,500 people wanting to get notified. So he was able to get that burst at the beginning of the campaign and he's a first time creator. So this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't by accident. This is him hustling and, and working really hard and his, his entire team doing so. 
uh, going to conventions, everything like that. So he's done a really good job of building that up. Um, and I believe the next slide, yeah. So you can see at the beginning of the campaign, first day, hit the goal, and then has been unlocking some stretch goals. And it, it's this perfect storm of him having the community, him having a really nice idea, really nice art, being very communicative to backers during the campaign. And from there, you know, again, I noticed this a year ago, but I've watched the journey and, and watch all the hard work that's been put into this. So uh, it, it's nice to see that come realized a year later, even though that seems like a wild, a wild time, but it's, it, it was very helpful for, for him and his team. John, what's that uh, purple part? So that purple part is the, uh, the custom refers. So what you can do on the back end of a Kickstarter page is you can create your own custom links and then uh, use those to post on, you know, a Facebook post that you're promoting or with uh, someone who's helping you run an ad campaign or something along those lines. So when you do that, those get put into their own bucket. Uh, so uh, Andy's running some ads for this campaign. So he can actually go in and see how each ad is performing, how much money is getting he's getting from each ad. And you can also ta uh, tap into Google Analytics and see who's coming and what kind of clicks you're getting on those ads as well. Um, so you can do a lot of measuring on the back end, and he's definitely doing that. So making sure that not only you're putting your idea out there, but you're doing that back end work through the Kickstarter dashboard to make sure that things are, you know, it's kind of like checking your engine in a car, you know, making sure everything's running as, uh, as it should. And you're knowing why it's running well. You're not just getting a big boost of funding and you're going, that's awesome. I have no idea where that came from. You're figuring out, okay, I know where that came from. That's repeatable. Let me see if I can do that again or figure out another way to do something like that. Yeah, the, the, the custom ref tags are really powerful too because what we've seen a couple of people do is let's say that you have like two different Facebook ads and you're like, I know this one Facebook ad is going to kill it. And for yeah. whatever reason, it doesn't. And let's say that the second, which we do, were like not anticipating taking off does, uh, that means that you're able to really monetize that second ad that you didn't necessarily anticipate. So it's, it's basically like live A-B testing. Yeah. Yeah, figuring out like even it's I've seen weird things work out where people are, people are very confident this one image is going to be the thing, and it ends up being a different image with certain copy going along with that image. So it's sometimes you just never know what's going to hit, and this helps you definitively without guessing. Like Anya was talking about assumptions, there's a lot of assumptions that that are made when people are doing uh, their campaigns and they don't know what's hitting and they think they know. So using those custom ref tags actually lets you genuinely know what's working. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, John. No <laughs> um, I, so the third project I wanted to talk about was a really cool game called Rap Gods. Um, but before I get into this, again, just wanted to mention that uh, we are going to be doing, we'll have ample time to do Q&A at the end of this. Uh, so make sure to drop your questions in the Twitch chat. John is going to go through and parse out some of the questions. A lot of times we see like the same questions. So just sort of parsing through and, and organizing that. Uh, our information will be at the end of this. So if for whatever reason you are not comfortable asking a question in chat, but still want to ask something to John, Michael, or myself, or our just general games team email, um, that is all. <coughs> and John's dog is now barking. Sorry, I will mute myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, okay, so rap gods, uh, hip hop for your tabletop, build rap skills, make money, earn street cred, start beef, be a rap god. This uh, this is advertised as the quote hip hop strategy and storytelling board game, which is like so freaking cool. So I was introduced to the creator Omari by another creator in June of 2018. And this is actually kind of a fun thing for us on the, on the games team, which is once creators sort of realize like, yeah, we're super accessible as like the games team folks, uh, creators then start introducing us to other creators that maybe like those creators didn't know they had access to us uh, or the creators that we didn't know about. So us getting excited about creators that we haven't met is like truly one of the most fulfilling parts of this job. Uh, so Amari and I worked not closely, but a little bit together. I like just did very basic feedback before he launched his project. What I just thought it was like a really interesting strategy game where like you ultimately want to become the rap God and you do that by earning the most record sales as like little plaques, uh, which I was like, Oh, it's so smart. Like music games are so challenging outside of like rock band, I think makes a lot of sense, but I feel like music tabletop games they can 
they can be a little bit challenging to do. So I just thought this was such a great integration of those two spaces. Again, like being able to kind of showcase this as like a, a new creator, someone who he and his team are obviously very creative. Um, and these are the types of projects that we as a game team get most excited by. I think, again, there's a misconception, and I'll move on to this next slide. I think there's a misconception that like we as the games team and just Kickstarter as a whole is so excited about projects like Frosthaven or Gloomhaven or Root or projects that bring in just a significant amount of money. And like from a business side, obviously it's nice to have revenue. <laughs> um, but I think that we get a little bit more excited about creators that are new and young and hungry and uh, clearly have an incredible future ahead of them, which I think is like definitely the case for Omari and his team. So this actually funded in September of two years ago, so it's almost two years old, uh, raised 26,000, a little over $26,000, 390 backers, right? Uh, the background to this is, is what the board game looks like. Um, but also one of the reasons that I really wanted to showcase this was this funding graph where you might just be like, what is happening here? Um, there's a lot of information that we can kind of gather and take away from this. Uh, just as John and I spoke about, John, sorry, John spoke about for the custom ref tags, this was huge for Omari. This was massive. Those custom ref tags is essentially what really brought in obviously over 50% of the pledges, right? 25% uh, of the pledges came in through Kickstarter and 20% came through a community that uh, for whatever reason, it just didn't, it didn't seem to hit with an outside community. So many different reasons as to why that could be. Uh, that quite honestly, the, commu the community building side and looking at these graphs is like something that uh, we can have an entire separate presentation about. But the line graph here is what I really wanted to talk about. So Right at the beginning of the project, huge surge, right? And that is pretty typical. Your project launches and you get a ton of pledges for roughly like 48 hours. Um, and then we see what we just call the project plateau. And that kind of goes into the last couple of days of the project. And uh, there's two things that I want to mention here, three things really that I want to mention here. Um, I've heard this rumor for the entire time that I've been at Kickstarter that if you don't fund within the first 24 to 48 hours, your project won't fund. And it's one of the weirdest ones that I hear because if that was the case, we would tell you to run a project for two days, right? Like we say 30 to 35 days for a reason. Um, I've also heard, you know, if you don't fund within the first 48 hours, Kickstarter won't feature you. And that is very much not the case. Uh, there's two things to kind of note here. Uh, oh, and then I've also heard that you should just cancel your project if you like don't fund within a specific time frame, right? And roughly what I've heard is that's like 48 hours or something like that. Uh, and all of that is false. So we want people to go through the entire 30 to 35 days lifespan of your project because this, this graph really represents what can happen the last two days of your project. So the first two days and the last two days tend to mirror each other. It's very, very common. Um, we didn't see that with the shivers because the project hasn't ended yet, but I have no doubt that going into the last, and, I, and John, correct me if I'm wrong, they're in their last nine days or three days? Uh, last seven days, they're ending next seven. Friday. So Great, yeah. Yeah, so we'll be able to kind of see like that huge kind of spike towards the end of their project. But one of the reasons that the first days, the first two days and the last two days tend to mirror themselves is one, first two days, super exciting. Your project launches, you send your emails, you put your tweets out, you put your Facebook posts, you, you let your community know like, hey, my thing is live. People are like, great, I'm gonna back it on the first day. Every project goes through this project plateau. This is extremely common. You will see it on every single graph. You're not gonna see, for the most part, any graphs that have giant spikes or anything like that. Typically, if there's a huge spike in the middle and then a huge, like an uptick and then a downtick, that's probably like a glitch of some kind. It's, it's typically not user behavior. But going into the last few days and why we tell people not to cancel their project, there's a little button under the, the pledge button on Kickstarter that says, remind me. And when you click that button as a backer, what you're basically saying is, I'm not ready to pledge to this project yet for whatever reasons, if it's a financial means, if you, aren't, you just haven't decided yet, whatever it is. Uh, so once you click that button, Kickstarter, we will then send you an email the last 48 hours of a project. And basically what we say is, hey, this project is still live. Uh, it has 48 hours. If you don't back it, it either doesn't fund or you don't get to the thing that the creator is making. 
So those last two days are crucial. That is the biggest reason we tell people not to cancel their project, because as you can see here, you never know what's going to happen in the lifespan of a project. It's, it's kind of a wild thing to see. Um, so I want to have Michael say a couple things here. Um, one, I would love for Michael to not only sort of talk about the European perspective, but I know there are there's a there's one concrete project, and Michael has a fun little surprise at the end of his his little segment here. Yeah, cool. So um, thanks, Anya. Catapult Kingdoms is one of my favorite campaigns actually on Kickstarter. Um, not necessarily because of the campaign itself. It's more about um, the people behind it and how they got together and um, also how they helped me back in the days when uh, Luke, the grandmaster of tabletop at uh, Kickstarter, just threw me in the cold pond and uh, the red um, water of Spiel in Essen. I don't know if you're aware of that um, show. Um, where it's like me as a video game guy, okay, I know Gamescom, right? Uh, but Spiel in Essen is, uh, is a thing in itself. And I was completely lost. And then um, we had a, suddenly a good connection to the Greek um, creator community. Um, so Iraklis helped us um, set up the booth. And through that connection, I got to know the people behind Vesuvius Media, who run regular campaigns around like 100k maximum at large many small campaigns rather than one big one. And Catapult Kingdoms uh, was by far um, their biggest. And um, if we go to the stats, yep. we see, uh, wow, okay, um, half a million. That's amazing. And 5,000 backers. Um, so it, for them, they were very, very, very excited. And it's a year-long relationship we built. Remember 2016, today we have 2020. So four and a half years, um, continuously staying in touch, working together, sharing ideas on the Kickstarter universe. And if we go to the next, and the designer, um, that's even more exciting of this game, is a dad from Berlin who works as a technical engineer for a mobile game studio, a bigger one, you might know the name. Um, and uh, he has a hobby. He bought himself a 3D printer and just tried out, you know, building catapults and um, castles with his uh, hobby 3D printer and um, designed gameplay mechanics. And this is an, at a video game event, actually, in Berlin. This picture was taken two and a half years ago. And it was so loved by the community that even the sanitary, um, I don't know the English term, but the people, you know, taking care of if you sort of, <laughs> um, faint at an event, uh, they help you and, and save you. And they were like, hey, Michael, can I please, please, please pay, play this game? Don't set it down yet. Uh, we want to spend our last uh, two hours playing this game. And um, then we just knew something is happening. And Vesuvius was just sitting next door. So um, this lonely dad, uh, not lonely, single designer dad, <laughs> uh, met with Vesuvius at this event. And um, they then decided, hey, let's work together on this and make it happen. So um, that was a really emotional um, connection. And he wrote to me a big thank you hug um, just last week when when they ended the campaign. So that was a lot of fun. And you see here the typical graph. Um, so no surprises when you listen to what Anya and John said before. Um, Spark in the beginning, rise in the end, but you also see what I mentioned before, that these people are on Kickstarter for a long time. Um, that's why the green part of the cake is so big, and they have an active Kickstarter uh, community, recurring backers. They're also backing a lot of other projects, which I think is also unique to our community, where people help each other out um, and support their, the campaigns of their friends. Um, so that's why the green part is so big. And what I also said, they regularly run campaigns. So they're really into the purple game, sort of. Um, they do their custom referrals. They have their pipelines. They have their rules spoke, sort of, on what they do. So they're very, very experienced in using um, the paid marketing and the custom referrals. And hence, you also see here experience pays out. And then, surprise! So as a video game nerd, I'm super excited that this um, thing is coming to the tabletop scenes of Kickstarter. Um, Frostpunk is a video game made by Polish uh, publisher 11-bit. 
And they are a boutique publisher doing a very quirky, very unique game. But as a video game company, they never went on to Kickstarter. But um, they had this War of Mine, you might have heard of that um, game before, um, running on Kickstarter and now coming with our launch, virtual drum rolls, in Poland, Greece, and um, Slovenia in September. And um, Frostpunk will be one of the very first campaigns to originally launch um, their Kickstarter campaign from uh, with the Polish bank account, with the Pol Polish entity. Um, so go Europe. This will be amazing. Scan the QR code to um, get to the pre-campaign page and not get notified on launch. <laughs> awesome. Um, and speaking of Frostpunk, that's a great segue into our last game that we're going to talk about, which is Frosthaven, only because they both start with Frost. So, you know, obviously we have to talk about Frosthaven. It completely blew up. And there's a lot of sort of like obvious information here. Um, and there's also a couple of things that are not as obvious. And so, you know, most funded game of all time now on Kickstarter surpassed uh, Kingdom Rush. But just to kind of give a little bit of context here, this is actually the fifth successful game from um, Isaac and his team. Their first project came out in 2014, which was uh, Forge War. Gloomhaven launched in 2015. And then actually what I thought was so interesting here is that the second printing of Gloomhaven in 2017 was their first million dollar project. Um, actually made over $3 million, which is really, really kind of interesting, right? And I'd say that 2017, 2016, 2017 was such a heyday. Uh, it's still a heyday, really, for tabletop games. But uh, this wasn't necessarily something that just, like, came out of nowhere, right? This was sort of a slow build. Their fourth project was Founders of Gloomhaven, which, you know, is sort of an expansion, and then Frosthaven. Uh, Frosthaven was, you know, obviously a very highly anticipated game. It did exceptionally well. It eclipsed Kingdom Death as the most funded games project in the history of Kickstarter. But most interestingly, uh, you know, we keep hearing, oh, I can't launch my project over a pandemic. And that's exactly what Frosthaven did. And they ended up becoming the most funded game on Kickstarter. Granted, there's several caveats that are sort of associated with this, you know, 80, over 83,000 backers. They did a ton of work sort of leading up to the actual launch of the project. But there's still a huge community of people that wanted to see this thing come to life, which is really, really exciting. Uh, and even their funding graph, right? Like they funded in like minutes, it sort of felt like. Uh, and that 49%, again, looking at that 30-70 split that we initially talked about, this is because of the community that they built on Kickstarter. So uh, another fun thing that we've learned is that the more that you launch projects on Kickstarter, the more likely it is that you'll be successful and the quicker it is that you end up funding because you've sort of built that community and that uh, trust within the community. Uh, but their graph, again, first couple of days, thank you, uh, first couple of days, huge amount of traffic last couple of days, huge amount of traffic, right? This just sort of like continuously, uh, regardless of a 26,000 project, or sort of a $26,000 project or a $12.9 million project, a half a million dollar project, doesn't really matter. The graph is pretty consistent here. So please don't cancel your project <laughs> halfway through your campaign because you never know what's gonna happen. Um, and so just to kind of wrap this up before we get to questions, and again, um, John is going to be managing the questions, so please make sure that you drop those in chat. John, how many questions do we have so far? We have eight right now. Fantastic. I wanted to address this thing that we hear all the time, which is, but what if I fail? And I just don't believe in this question, and I'll explain why. I don't believe that there is, a, I don't believe that anybody fails on Kickstarter. I think there are obviously projects that don't fund, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the project is a failure, right? So number one, you can always relaunch your project, right? You can always come back. It's not like a scarlet letter or a marker or anything on you, or you're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't fund my first time. No one's going to back my project again. That's, that's not the case. It's totally fine. People are very, very supportive on well, for the most part, people are very, very supportive on Kickstarter. Uh, but I've also seen things where that that project that didn't fund the first time around um, ended up being much more of a blessing in disguise for a handful of different reasons. I've seen people get publishers because their project, uh, maybe it didn't fund on Kickstarter, but a publisher saw it and was like, oh my gosh, I, I believe in this project so much and I want to be a part of it. 
I've seen people reassess their project and just truly make the game better because of the feedback that they've gotten from the community from launching their Kickstarter project. I've also seen people collaborate on projects together and end up relaunching their project and being even more successful than they were the first time around. Um, so please don't ever think that a failure is kind of what you think it is on Kickstarter. That's also why John, Michael, and I are here. We're here to support you and be your like little cheerleaders. So if there's anything that we can leave you with before we um, have our information up at the end of this, uh, don't forget these things when you're thinking of launching a Kickstarter project. One, build a community. Two, show your gameplay. Three, keep your video short. Four, you don't need to fund on day one. Uh, and five, talk to us. So I'll leave this up um, for probably about five minutes while we kind of jump into questions. But these are our Kickstarter email addresses. You can also email games at kickstarter.com, which will come to the games team. It doesn't really matter. We're cool, like totally cool either way as to who you want to email. It's whoever you're comfortable with. Um, John, again, is the senior tabletop dude. <laughs> Michael is our European guy and I am the director of games here. Um, but we are, you know, we are your games team. We're here to help you and support you as best as we can. So it doesn't really matter to us. So John, let's, uh, let's get into questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and forgive me if my dog barks again, but let's find those questions. First one. Okay. So we, we touched on how to get high games highlighted. So that's awesome. That was the first question. Okay. Uh, we talked about bad days to launch. Are there better end days than others? Yes. Weirdly, uh, we have seen that the best day to end is actually a Thursday. We don't really know why that is. We get the question a lot of like, well, what about, you know, ending on a holiday or ending on a Friday? Uh, Fridays don't seem to be that great. Uh, they're not terrible, but Thursday is actually the best day to end your project. Cool. Along. Uh, how do we reach you? Obviously, right there. Uh, there we go. <laughs> if the project really takes off, what advice would you give creators to help avoid becoming a victim of their own success? Um, so one, I would say surround yourself with people who are realistic. You don't want to surround yourself with like, yes, people. I also think one of the tools that I actually, we didn't talk about here. Michael actually did uh, talk about this a little bit, but just to kind of reiterate what he said, um, there's like a handful of different communities that exist on Kickstarter, right? You have your backer community, you have the actual Kickstarter community as in like staff at Kickstarter, uh, but you also have your creator community. The creator community is an extremely powerful community, right? Anybody who is going to be a bad actor in the games community will immediately be uh, either openly blacklisted or like we will find out about it, right? Uh, but the creator community is also a community of people who like, they want you to succeed. If a creator is successful on Kickstarter, it means other creators will be successful on Kickstarter. So reaching out to the act to the creator community, if it's, you know, I was a huge fan of this game or uh, I want to mentor this person, whatever it is, right? However that relationship, you know, however you all want to kind of like manage that relationship, totally fine. Um, but reaching out to the creator community um, of people who also have successful Kickstarters, they are going to keep you honest and they're going to keep your, your sort of like head on straight a little bit. Uh, all right. So next, can you explain a bit more on funding through Kickstarter versus others? Is the curve measuring everything on Kickstarter? Is there, is the curve measuring everything on Kickstarter? If so, how do you differentiate Kickstarter versus <laughs> others? How do you, how do you measure Kickstarter versus a dog bark? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Say that one more time. Uh, basically measuring Kickstarter versus other platforms. Oh, uh, like in I think I don't really understand that question. So let me do this. Why don't you email us that question so we can uh, parse that out a little bit more? Because I, I can take that a couple different ways and I want to make sure that I answer it correctly. So just email us and we'll answer that separately. Cool. Uh, I'm just going to a, a more since we have four minutes left. Uh, I, thought one, I thought it was a really good one. During this pandemic, how would you suggest building a strong community as opposed to going to a convention? Yes, that is a great question. I, we actually talked about this yesterday in a ZineQuest meetup that we had. So, you know, online communities are kind of the key right now. Um, there's the Gen Con Discord. Discord is a great place as like the majority of games people. I think, I suspect, I'm pretty sure uh, that Discord is a little bit more used within the video games community. I think the tabletop community is like adopting it a little bit more. 
every conference for the most part has a discord, right? So PAX will have a discord. There's a Gen Con discord. Uh, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to assume there's like a Gamescom discord. Um, cool. Yep. Confirmed there will be a Gamescom Discord. I'm sure there'll be a, uh, an SN uh, Discord. Discord is where those online communities exist right now. Um, oh, maybe, maybe there'll be one, we'll see. Uh, so finding those Discords where a lot of times um, in lieu of actually going to a show and showcasing your game, whether that's buying booth space or the super fun go to a hotel because everybody just hangs out and is gonna play games anyway, um, which is the secret of conferences you can go to Discord and um, talk about your project in sort of an open space, right? So like instead of going to show floor, uh, hotel, whatever, doing that in the Discord is gonna be a little bit easier and building a community that way, right? It's a fine line, you don't wanna spam, you don't want everything to be about like, this is the thing that I'm making, make sure that you check it out and I'm not gonna engage in any other conversation. Think about it as this is the way that I need to attend this conference. In addition to that, social media is a great way to kind of like continue to build that community. So that's where everybody's talking. If it's on Twitter, if it's on Facebook, there's so many tabletop Facebook groups. There's so many Kickstarter tabletop Facebook groups, right? Finding the one that you are the most comfortable in, um, I think is the best sort of plan of action there. Cool. Uh, let's see. What kind of impacts have you seen around the COVID pandemic? Yeah, that is such a great question. So uh, I know we have about two minutes left, so I'm going to answer this as quickly as I can. Um, the easiest thing to, the easiest way to answer that is downside, we've seen less projects launch. The number of projects that have launched on Kickstarter has definitely gone down. A weird upside for games, uh, again, it was like 57% success rate up from the lifespan of 41%. Tabletop games is at 70%. It's getting bigger every single day. Um, we've also had, uh, I think our March, April, May, and June have been our best months on record. So while the number of projects that are uh, launching is a little bit down, we've actually seen a huge increase of success on Kickstarter. And I think that's just because people are at home. Cool. Uh, someone asked, uh, Shivers took a year to build their mailing list. Yes, so that's an easy one. Uh, what is the best way to start the process of building a community? What is the kind of community you should have going into a Kickstarter in terms of size and other metrics? Biggest as possible. Get that community as big as you possibly can. Easiest thing to do, take what your funding goal is, divide it by what the base game is. So 50,000, for example, divide that by 20, double what that is. That'll be 2,500, double that to 5,000 people. That's gonna be the best course of action. Uh, cool. One minute. Uh, scariest part about launching a Kickstarter is international shipping with that and other hidden charges. Any advice on dealing with that? Yes, uh, you should email John at Ritter at Kickstarter.com because we need to end this presentation. That is true. Done. <laughs> awesome. Um, cool. Thanks. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming and listening to me ramble. Um, I always appreciate it. Uh, again, you can get us, you can get in touch with us, Ritter at kickstarter.com, M-L-I-E-B-E -E at kickstarter.com, Anya at kickstarter.com, or just games at kickstarter.com, because I just realized all of our names are a little bit unique. But thank you all again for attending, and enjoy the rest of Gen Con. Thank you. Bye-bye. Ciao. Hey, everybody. Before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in. We hope you're enjoying the podcast from our interviews and actual plays to our rambling roundtable discussions. If you like what you're here and you'd like to support the show, we have great sponsors for you to check out. Birds of a Feather Coffee Company is a small batch craft coffee roaster and is our OG sponsor. They have three signature blends to choose from. The Morning Lark, which is a light roast. The Night Owl Blend, which is a rich dark roast. And the Hummingbird Decaf Blend. They also have the exclusive Legendary Brew, a nice medium roast coffee, perfect fuel for all those late night gaming sessions. If you use the code LEGENDS10, you'll get 10% off your order and shipping is always free. So head on over to tinyurl.com forward slash Legendary Brew or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks everybody for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.